This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Well, I'm just actually standing outside the seafood restaurant, which is probably the most um, significant place in Padstow and probably Cornwall for me because it's where my whole life changed. Everything started for me. And originally it was a nightclub. I actually bought this building, which was first a granary and latterly a nightclub, on the quayside in Padstow and ran it with my best friend Johnny as a nightclub. But we were very naive. We were in our mid-twenties and we just couldn't keep order. We had a late licence and lots of the locals, including lots of fishermen, used to come in here after the pubs closed a little bit the worse for drink and there were a lot of fights and eventually the police closed us down and the local magistrates declared that I was not a fit and proper person to hold a licence. Well after that I opened the restaurant really as a way of um, avoiding bankruptcy and what's so interesting is that some of those fishermen that caused trouble under the influence of too much alcohol became my suppliers. So actually the first guy I want to meet today is uh, one of those fishermen that I used to get my fish from with his dad. They used to come into the kitchen, the boat would be out there in the quay, they'd come in with a large salmon and say, do you fancy this? And I always did. Lovely fresh Rick. How are you, mate? Very well, very well. Um, I was just saying that you used to bring, well, mostly salmon and salmon peel, sea trout into the restaurant with your dad, Tony. But... Um, I only just knew him mainly as Thompson. But this is what you're all about, isn't it? Fish. From a young age, Rick, yeah, I've been, uh, say, I used to go salmon fishing down the river with my father. And um, from there I went crabbing when I left school. And I went off on the commercial boats for about 30 years. Um, Yeah, really enjoy it all the time. So this is looking really lovely, the fish. I mean, that mackerel is... Where's that from, then? I caught these this morning, then. This morning, line caught uh, mackerel this morning. I've been out before work, a couple of hours. I went out about six. Yeah. Just tell me about fishing now, then, because it's not as good as it used to be, is it? I mean, well, the boats, up, what like the the offshore boats are doing very well. Rick, they're, they're still they're putting the hours in. They're they're doing very good, you know. Um, but it's hard life, you know, sleep deprivation and they earn their tin, as they say. Yeah. Um, the day boats, I think they're struggling with the crab and that now is um, harder now. Does yeah. anybody know what's happened about the crab then? It's just disappeared. It just it? disappeared, yes. It's like, not overfishing. Not overfished, no, no. They've uh, Obviously now they work parlours, so, you know, they've got double amount of gear now, but um, no, I don't think it's overfishing. I don't know what it is really. So when you used to come in with, with Tony, your dad, what, yeah. what, what did you used to think when you used to come in the kitchen? I was cooking then, of course. All yeah, the yeah, it was, it, was, it was great. We used to love it. And, and back then it was cash out the tills you know it's you know, know hmrc once uh vigilant then but um but it was, it was all good you know it's, it's um, so good re- really good and uh well as you know the salmoning's been stopped now um 2017 they stopped this for levels of critical salmon which is a shame because obviously my young son i'll i'd like to have taken him fishing down there you know but, mem- but up but i grew up on it you know about well, i was about nine when i first went down with my father you know down there middle of the night used to love it really did waders on and oh it's fantastic you've been fishing all your life in one way or another and now you're selling it i mean how come you didn't leave padstow what's the appeal of fishing i don't know rick really i know people say old old saying oh it's in your blood but i think to, 
certain extent it probably is like my father and his father was a fisherman you know probably his father was as well if you i can't remember whether you've got any sons yeah, I've, got, I've got two sons rick uh george my oldest son oh, yeah. he's 23 this year and um tony my other little boy he's only eight i've taken him a couple times but um he likes to go with me but he hasn't really got his sea legs yet he's been sick i've only taken him twice and he's been sick twice so um <laughs> he calls the river hell bay so really i don't want to scare him too much you know but um I, th I think hopefully when he gets older he'll get his sea legs and he'll be good you know it's a good way of life for his uh, that was really really good talking to Rob I'm sort of I lose touch a bit just because I'm all over the place also I mean I've had quite a connection with Padstow fishermen all my life really because my dad um, helped a local fisherman Johnny Mert to buy his lobster boat so that's where my love of fish originated from was just going out fishing with Padstow fishermen all the time and just talking to Rob and and just seeing what he'd caught this morning it just reminded me of the old days and I suppose that's really what I'm all about. I owe a great deal to Padstow. People sort of complain that, you know, Padstow's not what it was and all the old fishermen's cottages have been bought up. But the, the locals are still here. They just don't live in those fishermen's cottages. But one of them once said to me, why would you want to live in a fisherman's cottage? They're always damp and dark and in need of repair. I mean, I suppose it's just an inevitable um, change in small communities by the sea. You know, it's just... Um, just the way it is and of course people find it um, sad but towns need a bit of industry and one of the industries better or worse is tourism sorry there's a car trying to get past me um, we can go that way or that way um, I'm just trying to think I think this is fine this way there's not too much of a hop down um, it was funny because I bumped into um Patrick Gale, you know, the novelist, yeah, well, friend of yours the other day. He lives not day. far from me, yeah. And I was sort of saying, uh, well, I was doing this programme about Cornwall, mm. and I said, most of it's going to be in Padstow. He said, that's not Cornwall, it's Devon. <laughs> he said, uh, anywhere Cheeky further north than St Ives, it's, uh, it's Devon. That's just, <laughs> just Penwith speaking, isn't it? Yeah. But, I mean, you can't get more Cornwall than true girls where we're, we're going. Yeah. And Hawker's Cove, I mean, do you, have you any idea why it's called Hawker's Cove? No. I mean, I've, I've researched it because I'm constantly fascinated by place names and what they mean. Yeah. And I can't get to the bottom of it, whether it's to do with, you know, the Reverend Hawker? Yes, who wrote from, um, the Hornstow, yeah. Yeah, and wrote the National Anthem yeah. of Cornwall, or whether it's something to do with a traveller community that used to park up here, or was it the place they flogged the fish? I don't know, you know. That's interesting. Well, now we're, we're on Tregirls Beach, and for me, it means a great deal because just out there from Tregirls Beach, looking at that innocuous little bit of sand, that's actually the Doom Bar dun, dun, dun. scene of many a wreck. And I'm with artist Kurt Jackson, who um, I first found his art when he did a whole series of paintings of the Camel Estuary, right from the, the source of the Camel River down to the end of the estuary where we are more or less now stepper point here and pentar point over the other side and of course this river the camel which we're coming out on now is its origins are up on bobmin moor which is 30 miles in up that way if you follow the river exactly well you would know having <laughs> painted it from from mouth to source yeah and so that's nearing the part of Cornwall I, I spent my childhood ah. growing up in, you know, Andalabal and all that area on the edge of Bobby Moor. 
It's funny because uh, you know I had a nightclub in Padstow, <laughs> right in the in the seventies. Indeed, yeah. And we got closed down, and one of the things was we, we tried to sell it, but nobody wanted to buy it, right? <laughs> Except this guy that owned the Station Hotel in Delibol. I didn't even know there was a Station Hotel in Delibol. He offered to swap it. But that must have been when the station existed, well, which I is suppose. back in the day. Well, I'm still very attached to Delibol, and I was there a couple of days ago yeah. chatting to old friends. Well, the Slate Quarry's still there, isn't it? Slate Quarry's there. I did a project painting down there in the year 2000, sort of. You know Ronnie Biggs? Yeah. He said the first crime he ever committed was when he was an evacuated kid in Delibol chucking big lumps of rock <laughs> off the edge of the quarry. <laughs> Life of crime started there. That's shocking. <laughs> but um, what have you, eh? The camel. You know where the name comes from? Well, I think it means it doesn't mean the the obviously doesn't mean the beast. What no. is it then? It's from the it's Cornish word from crooked or bent, oh. as in the the sort of the root of the river as it swings round and across Cornwall from um, its origins on Bobbin Moor. So what, what is so special, I would say, about the Camel Estuary? Well, I think any river to me is, is incredibly important. And the Camel in particular, because I grew up not far from here as a kid, it's been here all through my life. You know, it's got an agricultural community, a thriving Cornish community. It's got sustainable shellfish, it's a fishery. That sort of gives it its own particular identity. And I think if I think of, your chefing your food um yeah on one level it it looks beautiful and it tastes great but there's more to that isn't there because you're very particular about sourcing your ingredients where they come from etc how they're they're grown raised caught whatever and with me my art i'm not interested in just making a pretty picture i use what i do as a as a means to understand a place and get to know it and become intimate with it well, I'll go down first. <laughs> Through the prickly black, blackthorn. And onto the sand. Yeah. So I'm in Trigirls Beach just walking over to Hawkers Cove now, and it's only a 10-minute drive from Padstow and about a 25-minute 20, walk along the estuary. And there's the open sea beyond. And what's really funny is that um, there's a lot of sort of pleasure cruises that go out from Padstow and you get this far and it's all lovely and as soon as you get between the heads they all start throwing up <laughs> they all start throwing up but a bang opposite of course is is Polzeth yeah. the big surfing capital of of Cornwall at the moment it seems and my gosh it's looking a lot more built up than when I last noticed it well, I mean every it's... time you, you blink there they've built another yeah t- very tasteful house but another grand design has popped up there hasn't it <laughs> yes <laughs> but of course What's amazing, the the right-hand side is Pentire Head. Yeah. And just around the corner from that is the Rumps. Yes. Which is this incredible Iron Age fort. It's a cliff castle. And it's called the Rumps because it refers to the ramparts of the, of the, the shape of the defences there. And it's the most incredible situation. I've, I've been painting it actually just last week by chance. <laughs> so over there we've got John Betjeman's country, obviously. Yeah. Did you ever meet him? I didn't. I was rather sadly. I did a programme about him once, but um, he had Parkinson's for the latter years of his life. And he described the, the railway line when it's still running up to Padstow as the, the five miles of the 
best railway in the world or something, didn't well, it they? it was, with that arm bridge going up the estuary. Oh, what a crime to... Well, I mean, it was a crime at the time to remove the railway, but it's become the ultimate cycle path in the world, yeah, hasn't it? it, does, and, it has. and it gave me access to a lot of the riverbanks of paint, <laughs> so I mustn't complain, really. But, but So there's Hawker's Cove. We're just coming round there now, and that's the old lifeboat, I think, that's been turned into a uh, private house. We've reached a, a large pond <laughs> that you and me are going to get very damp because we haven't been sensible enough to take our shoes off yet. But um, as you can hear, we're actually getting a little, uh, little squidgy between the toes. So Rick, I know you're uh, partial to a, a, a swim in the, swim, in the camel. Yeah. Wild swim, as they call it these days, yeah, because it's all posh. become very sexy. And the fact <laughs> yeah. that our families have been doing it for generations is irrelevant. It I seems know. to be suddenly a trendy thing to do. But when I've got I, my swimmers on. Well, I've got I, mine in my bag. I, so I never go anywhere, certainly... At this time of year, and the water stays warm till January, really, mm. um, without my swimmers on. If I, it's a well, I, to I like to um, swim in in every river I I paint. Good. I think it's That's really important to have that sort of immediate contact and connection with the subject. Well, I'm, well should we have a swim? I think we should. Um, it won't. It won't be that cold. That was fab. Absolutely glorious. I, I said, for the time of year, it's amazing how warm it is. I said, I don't think we'd make marathon man with that, that swim, but as an <laughs> no. exercise and enjoyment, just, you can't beat it. It's absolutely gorgeous. And it just sets you up, with, you know, just having a little swim like that. You just feel so healthy and alert and physical, full of jollity. Well, it's quite a coincidence, really, because the last thing I was talk- talking to Kurt Jackson about was was farming, was the farmland, and we passed this wonderful set-aside field full of wildflowers and wild herbs. And it's really leading me in very, very neatly to uh, my next conversation with Nicola Hooper, who I met at a lovely country house called Bacanac near, uh, near, near Lothwithiel a few weeks ago. And I got really interested because she's like a new generation of farmers that really value the land. So tell us, tell me some more. We're farming just outside of um, Lothwithiel, where we met previously. Um, it's a th- just under 300 acre mixed farm. The cattle are very much at the sort of centre of everything we do. And we see them as being integral to our um, pasture management and our system there. Uh, with a real focus on the soil health um, and carbon um, sequestering within that, within our plans there. Well, that, that's what I really, I was really interested in because of, of, I suppose because I'm interested in sort of excellence in fish, excellence in, yeah. in sort of vegetables and, and in, in beef and meat generally. And I see that as what I got from you was a sense that meat plays a part in our diet, will play a part, but it should be much more well considered and um, perhaps a bit more expensive. Yeah, <laughs> I won't disagree with that. <laughs> um, but I think you're right, there's definitely a lot of um, question at the moment um, about meat generally and, and buying meat and whether we should eat meat and its impact. Um, and I think that it's really important to be able to be transparent in the process of producing the meat and where we are, we uh, take the cattle right through from birth, right the way through the process. So. Um, I personally have have taken cattle through and directly sold that to customers and then had feedback about the beef and and its taste and its flavour 
and I think that you can definitely you can taste how how it's been treated at the end so um sort of happy happy animals it does convert onto the plate it's um, funny i'm just going to interrupt you because when we were walking back from the beach where we've just been yeah. i picked a few uh, blackberries yes. right and the difference between a wild blackberry and a cultivated one is the same i think between the sort of meat you're talking about and the stuff you get generally you know in supermarkets yeah but that's really what turns you on I think isn't it the sort of the fact that you can tell a difference so so easily yeah and I think um you know a lot of what you'd buy in the supermarket is quite mass produced um it's not all from you know the farm down the road and there there definitely is a a difference in flavor so what we're doing is a bit more extensive um we are taking cattle sort of through a longer um life cycle before it, it it goes on to into the food chain and it's just a more natural, a natural way of farming. The other thing that really interests me about you, Nick, is that, that you, you, you don't come from farming stock. You, you worked in London. Why come into something like farming? It seems sort of bonkers, quietly. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to explain, but to start with, I, was, I met my husband, who is from farming stock, and uh, it was quite a non-negotiable. If you want to be with me, then uh, you've got to accept that I'm a farmer and I farm. And uh, to start with, in our relationship, it was really me coming down from London at the weekends to Cornwall. Well, what's not to love about that? And then I used to sort of hang around and follow Ed around and ask him lots of questions. And the more I kind of got to understand things, the more excited I got about it and the more involved I wanted to become. Uh, and it got to the point where I'd be sat in the office in London and I'd be wondering what was going on with the cattle or what, you know, had that cow calved that I'd been sort of looking after over the weekend um, on the Monday morning. And I think, you know, there's nothing better really than waking up in the morning, going out, the stew on the grass, walking through the fields and and seeing the stock and and knowing that you're playing an integral part in not just the cattle, but how that land is, is managed. So... I, I would like to say I got the bug quite quickly and then it was a big decision but 100% the right decision. So I'm now at the bandstand right in the centre of Padstow, right in the inner harbour and I'm with Dave Brown who I've known for years and years and years. I first met him when he was running a lovely little bird garden just at the back of Padstow, just o- over there. And I'm always uh, fascinated by stories because he used to be in various rock and roll bands and he tells me stories like about Eric Clapton or Mick Jagger as if it was only yesterday they were together. So Dave, just remind me why you came to Padstow in the first place. Well, I, came, I first came here as, as a little kid actually with mum and dad and then mum and dad bought a little cottage in, in uh, Duke Street here and uh, so from about 1955 onwards I spent every school holiday, every break, every minute that, that we could here in Padstow so I sort of half grew up in Padstow although I'm not a Padstow boy Just tell me about, you know, I know it all but tell me about your, your career in rock and roll who, who did you play for? Well I started off way, way back in the 60s actually I worked with Elkie Brooks, with Kenny Lynch, with, with uh, yeah, just all, all those sort of 60s people, and then eventually formed my own band, uh, which was called Tucky Buzzard, and we were, uh, that was in the early 70s, and we were a lot more um, 
into heavier sort of music then and uh, so that's when I got involved with people like Black Sabbath and Deep Purple and Uriah Heep and we used to tour America and Europe with them but then to be honest I thought well I'm going round you know I'm getting older and older and I'm going round rocking and rolling all over the world and uh, I really actually just want some peace and quiet so I packed it all in and uh, came home to Vadstone. <laughs> it's so good listening to because the people that you worked with in the 70s were, were, were still my sort of idols, you know. The, the music is my music. So, uh, you know, if we get short of conversation out of the pub, I just say, ask the question, you know, what's Keith Richards like, you know? <laughs> <laughs> when, when I first met Keith, which was on, I think, the first or second tour, I did quite a lot of tours with the Stones, and um, Keith, honestly, was like a, like a little 16-year-old schoolboy with this cherubic little face, and he was really sweet. And I've got photographs of him, you know, drinking Coca-Cola and things like that, you know. Um, and um, he's uh, matured in a most interesting well, has manner. Well, hasn't he? I'm, I just love these stories that y- y- you have. And I think that's what's sort of nice about Cornwall as well, is that you find quite a lot of people like yourself that have sort of ended up here because it's so lovely to live here. And you just bring the whole place alive, particularly with the ukulele band, the St Merrin Ukes. The St Merrin Ukes, that's a a new venture. Um, I didn't start it, it was started by a friend of mine, uh, Dave Healy. And uh, as he spent a lot of time here, as he always told me, he said, I was trying to think of a way to get out to the pub once a week without any hassle. So, So I thought I'd form a... A, a local ukulele group. We gather every every week, every Monday, in a, a local pub in St Marin. So, I mean, I think that St Marin Ukes is sort of indicative of a great sense of community in the area. Just tell me about, tell us about the Ukes. Well, um, although I've made a joke about it starting as a, a, a little excuse for going to the pub, it, it, what actually we do is we raise money for local charities. And, you know, I hope I don't sound too... Uh, offish when I say this there are people there who I probably would never have met did we not share this fun of playing ukuleles so it's brought a lot of people together it's introduced me to more local people because everyone's local in in the ukulele groups they're not uh, you know outsiders everyone lives here Uh, and it's yes it is it's a it's a community group well we've got Ali, Zoe, Dave and Dave. And I've asked them what's really good about the St Mary Nukes is, is they play a lot of local Cornish songs. And this one is a favourite of mine, La Morna. I actually went to La Morna Cove for the first time about three years ago. It's just in South Cornwall. So it's a sort of song that brings North Cornwall and South Cornwall together. And it's just some, something I remember from my childhood in Padstow, everybody singing it. This song I sing to you
Oh, that song, La Morna, it just, there's something really special about Cornwall. I mean, it's about Truro and the South Coast, but I, I just think there's something pleasantly old-fashioned about a song like that. And Padstow's pleasantly old-fashioned, and, and indeed, there's something a bit different about Cornwall, and I think that's really summed up in, in my, my love of Padstow. It's not quite... England, it's not quite the UK, it's just that little bit different. I know. 